Chapter 7 Wallace Brings News A puppy, dear sister-in-law. A gift for your sister, smiled Prince Wallace. Its name is Bo. Queen summoned her manservant, who came quickly by her side. She whispered in his ear. He stoically glimpsed at the dog. We'll take the dog to the kitchen and feed it, said the manservant. I thought the princess Sarah and Angelica might enjoy him. Slowly closing her eyes, the queen nodded. I'm sure she would like that, but if you'll excuse me, I must retire so that you and my husband can chat. General Rabtak gestured. He and his three men left the corridor. Wallace and Dabramel went through the door into the throne room. So, brother, what is the sum of this disheartening news you traveled so far to bring, said the king flatly. Wallace exhaled. Alex, have you heard the peoples of the village and what they're saying about Zili? I've heard the outrageous rumors, unsubstantiated rumors, said Alexander. We must invest some credence into these rumors. His behavior has become a reflection on you. How? Alexander asked. Before each act of cruelty, Zili or his sycophants acting on his behalf read a proclamation stating that you, King Dobramil, ordered the actions against the citizens of the Aurora Kingdoms. Surely you recognize the gravity of what you are accusing our brother? asked Alexander. Sadly I do, brother, but I have more than words. I have scoured the countryside and I have seen the results of his treachery and deceit. I have not only heard the stories, but I have seen the evidence. These are acts of sedition, punishable by death, Alexander said, stridely. Why? Why would he? Why would he do this? I have always treated him with love and respect. His hand on his brother's shoulders. His eyes cast down. Wallace shook his head. I know, brother. It is a sad day, Wallace said, hanging his head. Sometimes... Lust for power is stronger than love. Alexander held back his tears and held up his fist. He paced the room, his face visibly furrowed from the pain he felt in his heart. His hands shook and he became angry. This is an outrage, Alex breathed deeply, his fingers writhing. Of this cruelty I have ordered none, ever. Zeli is our brother. It pains me to think him capable of such treachery. Truly, is it just a rumor? He turned to Wallace, his face beaming with hope. We have no hard proof. My hope exactly upon hearing this. Then proof came to me. You're a good king, Alexander. There would be no others who would require proof. King Kashmaki, our father's father, would have caused the instigator of these crimes to sleep in the Iron Maiden. Aside from the first hunt account, I discovered a home whose drinking well was poisoned. The occupants burned out. On the property, we discovered the young son of the Lizard King, Hesia, dead. Welcome to Conversations with the Authors. 
Welcome back to Conversations with the Authors. I'm your host, Daniel. And I'm Daryl. And I'm Sandra. And thank you, dear listeners and readers, for pressing the play button. And thank you to our composer, Alexander Nagarada, for uh, a wonderful intro, which I just enjoy hearing every time. It psychs me up, just like reading this book, just like this excerpt we heard. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you're unfamiliar with this podcast, it is unscripted. We just sort of go off the, you know, the seat of our pants, uh, because I think that's the best way we can convey our thoughts and our excitement about this book and just the process of writing in general. Uh, in this, um, excerpt, we heard the reiterating of what's happened thus far, uh, with the sheriff with Wallace, with Alex, with Nicholas, and it's sort of been uh, debriefed to King Alexander Dobbermill, who is the sort of main king. I don't know if that's what you'd call it, but of the kingdoms, right? So he sure is senior of the of the brothers, right? Mm-hmm. And Wallace and the sheriff are are, are uh, they're all related? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, so why at this point are we reiterating? Uh, are we debriefing for the sake of the story or for the, for the sake of the audience? Well, I think a little bit of both, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audience gets to see that this is something that's important that's mm-hmm. happened, and uh, the characters are informed about what's been going on. Right. Okay. So it's sort of your it's a fancy way of going, remember, this is important. Um, uh, and as an author, when is it important to to sort of remind the audience or give information that we've given before um, in our stories, sci-fi, fantasy, what have you, um, for inf- is it for emphasis? Like when, like, when is it, okay, we've done it enough, or it's time to remind the audience? Yeah, I think when something's done more than once sometimes, uh, that put in, puts an accent on it, and uh, uh, let's note it, the audience know that this may be a point uh, that's really uh, uh, germane to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I mean, we don't do it gratuitously. It's something that that uh, it helps to move the story right. along, too. Because, we, don't, we don't want to beat the audience oh, over the head no, with things, right? Not at all. Right. right. But it can also be used as a tool to say, there's something coming up in the next paragraphs or so that you might want to pay attention to right, right. a little bit more. Right. And we did, and we do appreciate asking the audience for questions, dear readers and listeners, for submitting to the website. Uh, and I think uh, this question um, from our audience, Amber, who is a science fiction lover, relates because there's a lot of memorable scenes in your book that you've written. So, uh, where uh, were there any particularly memorable or standout scenes um, that you enjoyed, Daryl, Sandy? <laughs> well, I, I I guess it's hard to answer because I, I enjoy it so many. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I love the outdoor scenes, uh, and so because we have uh, it's it's like being on a playground, and I can really move my characters around in that environment. Um, castle being in the castle is a little bit more difficult because you have to imagine all the the the, the nooks and stairwells right. and and. Uh, and buildings that you have to navigate, so right. that's, that's a little bit uh, more work concentrating and trying to figure think, that out. Sometimes I think mine are also the open spaces. I like 
sort of the there's a scene where there's sort of this conference of uh, magical beings uh, at the toy maker's farm at mm. some point, um, and uh, that's one of my favorites because I get to see the build up to it, uh, uh, and also I like the very I like there's a particular scene at the begin of uh, the beginning of the book that uh, always captures my attention, which readers <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you need to read that because wow uh, Sandy do you do you have a particular scene that you like or a particular I, memorable I like, for you? I like the scenes, whether inside or outside, where the characters do something you don't quite expect them to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, to transform into something. Mm-hmm. To um, Ah, yes. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. To um, float around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To go through things. Mm-hmm. And um, so how much research do you do before writing a book? And this question comes from Daniel Perez, uh, uh, if you would. You know, it, it depends on the thrust of, of the book. Uh, and obviously, we're talking about you know science fiction uh, fantasy right now. And so uh, sometimes... You, I'm not sure I understand. Well, I'll try to explain it. I'm sorry, that was that was my watch not understanding. But uh, we uh, do quite a bit of research uh, on uh, the, we break the scenes down and we do research uh, and look up the things that could possibly happen and the way we might get them to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And we talked earlier in the episodes about uh, immersiveness and. Uh, you know, building these fantasy worlds. And uh, in regards to research, there's controversy about language, uh, particularly when talking about sort of ancient era, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're in the ancient era, let's say we're using, you know, we got trebuchets and we've got, you know, bows and arrows and spears and what have you. But then we've got terms like, oh, I'm freaking out. You know, this is this is loony. So, which is which is right. something we didn't use, so, by the way. Right. So, so, but I, I've seen that in stories. So, before. as a writer, what is your thought on using modern vernacular, which is you know modern ways of speaking and slang and, uh, and such, in ancient speech? You know, I, I there are there are a lot of views on that, and most some are very controversial about that. There are some authors believe that using modern lingo is going to bring you closer mm-hmm. to the character and have right. you identify with them more. Right. And others think that it puts some distance between uh, you, the character, and belief. Uh, it's just like uh, I, I saw, and I won't mention the program, but I saw some picture about Jesus and one of his apostles uh, said, well, what happened to you? He said, I was afraid. I was freaking out. And I right. said, whoa. I said, right. <laughs> or, get, or the implementation of a you know, sort of uh, too soon you, you know, you kinda, joke. Yeah, right. right. And, and one of them told a joke, and, and then uh, he regretted it immediately, and he said, too soon. And this was B.C., right. you know, or A.D., you know. So it was, uh, it was just kind of. It's startling. It was startling so to me. Sometimes too. It was funny, but it wasn't a comedy. Right. So I didn't really expect to see that. In a comedy, you might expect to see anything. And do you consider yourself... Uh, Sandy, what were you saying? I'm sorry. Go ahead. There were a few times when I was doing research that I found a word that I had intended to use that was modern day, somewhat modern mm-hmm. day. And I went back and I 
looked up the the origin of the etymology. Thank you. The etymology. And uh, found out that it existed back way, way back when. I'm going, I can use that word. Yeah, I know for me, (laughs) during the research, certain words I might want to use, I'll actually see the first time that word was used. I'll look up in a dictionary to see the first time it might have been used. So as a screenwriter... I think that the use of modern-day speech, uh, colloquialisms, though, I think it depends on the genre. For instance, if it's a satire or a comedy, you've got, you know, Will Ferrell, or you've got someone, you know... Or you've got uh, some, someone right, some, saying some, something some, in a somebody. Mel Brooks movie, and they're going right. to say something like, they're going to say world. something sort of out of... that's, you know, out of the ordinary. It's something that's uh, an inaccurism. You know, it's, not, it's, not, it's not true to the era. But do you consider yourself to be a Puritan? Does it? Is it like, no, if you're doing ancient, just stick with the vocabulary? Yes. Okay. Okay, I, I kind of am. <laughs> you know, and it's funny you say that because you look at some you know, Shakespearean speech and you can get lost in the vernacular that mm-hmm. he uses. Uh, and it is helpful sometimes, I think, to bring it to that modern tone. Well, you know... I've seen various translations mm-hmm. of uh, of Shakespeare, and some using a language more in our our modern English where we could understand without using the slang and vernacular of, of this day. Uh, and uh, I, I think the most important thing to remember is when you're writing is that you're communicating with people, and if you don't say it in a way that people can understand, then you might as well have not said it at all. Right. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the debate goes on, people. Uh, So, uh, Daniel Perez wants to know, what advice would you give someone who's interested in writing science fiction? you got to be a little bit uninhibited with your thoughts and your your memory and your possibilities. And so your brain tends to want to restrain you. You have to let that restraint go. And you don't need to use drugs or alcohol to do it either. Mm. Sometimes I wonder if some of these people who, who write certain things do, but you just have to let your mem- you let your mind go free. Right. Um, and, and Sandy, I guess I'll let you take the 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 first stab at this question from Doctor Nathaniel Brown. Wants to know: Do you feel that science fiction can be used as a tool for exploring current social issues? Yes. And the reason I I say that so emphatically is that the basis of science fiction is imagination. And once you have imagination applied to physics and other things that you know actually occur, then you have the opportunity to say, well, what if it would do this, and then you make it do it? You know, it's it's an interesting thing that uh, in science fiction, there are a lot of authors uh, of science fiction who are also physicists, mm. too, you know, and so it, it really germinates their imagination. Right. Uh, and I think sometimes it brings forth a lot of the things that we have today just because someone wondered if that could actually happen. They wrote about right. it, and then somebody said, you know, I'm going to try to invent that. And I think it's a good way, in a sense, to do sort of a social commentary without sort of pointing fingers in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, I let's, for you instance... Don't, but, you know, and I, it just made me think, 
uh, H.G. Wells mm. was supposed to be was the father of, of science fiction, mm. and he wrote a, a book back in the, in the early part of uh, uh, the twentieth century, uh, and it was called um, uh, uh, the World Cut. It was the World Cut Free. I might have that that title wrong, but it was uh, several years before World War One, and he wrote about somebody inventing uh, a bomb that mm-hmm. could destroy the world. Right. The world could free. I, 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 don't quote me on that. But it's H.G. Wells. And it really uh, uh, was an idea that was not even possible then. And that was the atomic bomb. Right. You know? And right. so this was decades and decades before we even had the idea of using nuclear fission in war he came up with that idea you know it's funny um i was just thinking the world set free i think that that was it okay, okay. world set free mm-hmm. uh, hg wells hg wells yeah. and i was thinking uh, with uh uh this whole hubbub with chat gpt and chat gpt3 i think about the the movie uh 2001 Odyssey 2001, I think mm-hmm. is the title. 2001. You know, uh, so there, uh, the point being, there's a, an AI in the movie who sort of goes crazy and sort of, he's sort of like, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm like, he's, that was hell like, in 2000. It's, it's killing folks, right? <laughs> and we worry about that with, with current chat GPT. You know, we've seen the Terminator and the Matrix, and we've seen that's happening in sci-fi. And I think... It allows us to sort of take an existential look at ourselves and like, you know, sort of checks and balances for a second and see what are we doing and where could this possibly go if we don't focus on it. So I, I think I think in terms of social issues, I think it's it's a good tool for mm-hmm. examination. And uh, then your grandmother used to say words have power. Mm-hmm. And if you put it out there, it might happen. So. You only put out what you want to have happen. And, of course, uh, we have another uh, question by uh, our, one of our readers, Ernie, uh, who wants to know, should we expect a sequel for the book? Well, you can, you can expect that sequel, and uh, uh, we are working on that now. Oh, good. So it's going to happen. We're actually working on more than one of them. Yeah. It's just one is in outline form. So we, right. yeah, and, and one is is almost well, what, ready, yeah. uh, ready to so, go. Yeah, we've only got ten more scenes uh, to write. So as you all are reading and listening to this podcast, I am also uh, reading uh, the book, and uh, I can tell you that it's 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 worthy of a sequel. I've I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I mean. I, each page, each chapter has something new, and it's so descriptive and so imaginative and so creative. And I'm not saying this because you're my parents. I mean, it's great that you're my parents, but you know, I would not lie to you. I honestly, truly, I, I honestly and truly feel like this is a, an amazing book. So a sequel, I'm definitely looking forward to reading, and any peripheral stories that come out. And if you're interested in reading the book, you can visit us at troopbooks.com. Um, it'll take you to our author page at Ewing's Publishing House, and you can purchase a copy of the hardcover and the softcover. If you want to follow us on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, please do at Troop Books. Uh, for all of those uh, social media platforms, Troop Books is the name you want. 
Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please continue to submit your questions. The About Us page you can submit there. And hopefully I will hear and listen and discuss with all of you next time on Conversations with the Authors. <laughs>